Episode 10 of the Bomber Brothers Podcast. We're up to double digits now. Sean and Ryan with you. And for double digits, we'll have a double header. In terms of guests this week, we have Jesse Spector joining us. And then we also have Marty Appel, Yankees historian and former PR director, to take a trip down memory lane, visit revisit the 1978 comeback by the Yankees as 14 back the Sports Illustrated documentary about the 78 season is premiering today so that was a great interview a lot of good inside stories from Appel as he was around George Steinbrenner for many years and uh Sean I'm definitely excited about playing everyone that interview and, and excited about the way the Yankees are playing these last two games yeah, I mean, speaking of Marty, I, I could probably hang out with that guy for a week and just listen to him talk. Uh, it was awesome. But, yeah, uh, excited the way the Yankees showed up last night against the Red Sox. And then right now they're currently winning 8-1. Severino's looked fairly good. Uh, so definitely um, definitely some things to be excited about right now uh, after a pretty, pretty porous weekend. But uh, playing, playing well against the Sox here. Yeah, as it has been all year, it seems like the elixir for the Yankees when it comes to getting out of mediocrity is to play some contending teams. You know, Fenway sweep aside, the Yankees have been, you know, played very well against contending teams this year, and they've shot themselves in the foot against inferior teams like they did over the weekend against Toronto. But here they are taking the first two, or looks like they'll take the first two. They have an 8-1 lead as we record here on Wednesday night, and looks like the Red Sox have put up the white flag for today. They had made a pretty big substitution list. Swihart's in, Brandon Phillips is in, so a lot of the starters coming out. And I would say the two most encouraging signs for the Yankees right now in terms of now and the playoffs is that, A, like you said, Severino's looked good for the second straight start. I thought he looked really good against the Twins in his last start before tonight. And um, and tonight, Slider's moving again, but that changeup is working for him too, and he's going to it, so that's big. But yeah, he's, sorry, got, go he's got a lot of uh, strike three swinging with that changeup on the outside corner tonight, something I noticed, which, and you know, you take J.D. Martinez out of the lineup, and it's pretty much been a masterful outing from Severino, second straight time in a row look at his last start the vertical movement on the slider was the highest it's been since july 1st according to fan graphs so what you you've brought up the past couple weeks is and jack curry brought up when he was on with us a couple weeks ago is getting the bite on that slider back and according to the numbers and the naked eye it looks like it's it's back right now and he had a he's had a couple big strikeouts of mookie bets tonight obviously and a top three bat in the league so huge Huge optimism for Severino right now, and then the other one I would say is Aaron Judge, and he hasn't you know filled up the hit column in his first two games back. But you look at especially he actually uh, he actually just got a hit a little earlier. Awesome. Well, there you go. So he's in the hit column. He should have been last night. Which yeah, I mean he, he's looked good. Sorry, he, he's looked really good swinging. So that hits you know that that was just a matter of time. Yeah, 112 mile an hour. Uh, line out to right field last night going the other way with a 99 mile an hour fastball flies out to the wall last night then roped a 94 mile an hour grounder that was a double play but I mean I would say everything looks pretty good for Judge so far you got you got Chapman back off the DL so things are uh, maybe looking up for the Yankees at just the right time yeah they definitely have some pieces back still some areas for concern but um but yeah, I, I mean, 
if you figure if you figure in the return of Judge, if you get Chapman back in that bullpen, now all of a sudden, now you have a team that can compete even even with uh, you know Gary Sanchez. Looks like it's going to be a lost season, but you never know. You get hot in the playoffs and, and the defensive struggles with those pieces, they could overcome that and um, you know make a little bit of noise in October. Yeah, Sanchez is still a bat that pitchers have to respect. You know, like you said, he's had a bad season, but as a whole, he, he had a couple great games over the weekend. Um, drew a couple walks today against David Price, his favorite opponent. Yeah. Um, and then another huge spot for the Yankees is Luke Voigt. I mean, first base has been such an issue for the Yankees the past two seasons, pretty much, aside from last September when Bird finally turned it on. But Bird was hurt this year. Uh, struggled has struggled a lot since he came back and now Voigt with a pair of home runs today he's got nine as a Yankee since he's been traded for you know mind you it was for Chase and Shreve and Giovanni Gallego so a huge win so far and it looks like uh, Voigt is your uh, one of your starters for the wild card game that you would have never expected just like in 2015 you probably never would have guessed Rob Refsnyder would have been a starter in the wild card game <laughs> he got a hit that day baseball is weird absolutely so you know going now into the final stretch of the regular season this is something we asked um jesse specter and we'll play that interview in a couple minutes what are you looking at as as the big focal point as something the yankees need to address something the yankees need to turn around before getting into this winner take all game against oakland uh cc that would be the big that'd be uh, well before the one game playoff not CC, but before the playoffs themselves, CC. Um, for the one game, uh, I want to see Stanton start to hit. I think we could get by with one of Gary or Stanton not hitting, but we need one of them to, to turn it around. And um, that, that that would be crucial. Hicks had a hit tonight, but, you know, your Judge, Stanton, Sanchez are supposed to be your your, your key pieces, and you, you need um, – you need Stan or Sanchez to to get hot here. Yeah, you bet. You mentioned his name, and not just to not repeat yours. Obviously, Stan's a huge one. He's been really struggling. Um, as the beat reporters on Twitter update his September stats every time he makes an out, and he's been batting under 150 in September. But the name you mentioned, Aaron Hicks, I think he's another huge X factor that that the Yankees would love to have turn it on again you know the walks are still there he's still putting together some some good at bats but the power numbers have really plummeted lately and, and he's in a bit of an offensive slump you, you mentioned the the hit today i think he had a two rbi triple but that was hicks tonight right who had the two yeah. rbi triple mm-hmm. so that's that's a good sign for hicks but it, it's weird you know you go into the season and the talk was about the depth of the outfield and all of a sudden, a couple guys start getting hurt, and it just really doesn't seem like the Yankees have had the outfield firing on all cylinders at any point this year. You, you look early in the year when, when Judge was doing his thing, but Stanton was struggling poorly, and Stanton finally turned it on in a big way once Judge got hurt, and Gardner started struggling while while Hicks was you know, having his hot streak. Now you bring in Andrew McCutcheon, who's been great. I mean, 15 walks already. He's been a, a great leadoff hitter, an OPS close to 900 since he joined the Yankees. But as soon as he comes over, Hicks starts struggling again, and so does Stan. So I, I'd like to see maybe a, a bit of 
wholeness offensively from the outfield heading into the wild card game and you know it, it would be nice to put a bunch of runs on the board and, and give a cushion to whoever the wild card starter may be and can i can i put in another maybe like answer part b would be uh chapman if we we need to see him do his thing and then that solidifies the bullpen yeah it's it's a good thing he's back now it'll give him a little bit of time to you know get his footing back and maybe shake some of the rust off you know luckily he wasn't gone too long there was some concern he'd be out the rest of the year that doesn't that's obviously not the case anymore so big to have chapman back and extend that bullpen even more you've got Britton throwing the ball better not to second base but throwing the ball to the mound better as he had a <laughs> had a throwing error last night um so you know some encouraging signs these last two games i would say um you know brian hoke tweeted could you imagine if this was the alds right now and it really makes you think you know if the yankees can just get through that one game playoff against oakland or even at this rate the, the rays the way they're playing but no probably oakland but if they, if they get past that game all of a sudden you, you, and jesse mentioned this too you'd really just have to steal one game in boston and then all of a sudden the red sox have to take three out of the next four games and with that really shaky bridge to Craig Kimbrell and the starting pitchers they have behind Chris Sale, it's not crazy to think that the Yankees could, you know, handle the Red Sox in a five-game series. Not to mention the Red Sox, that power surge has slipped a little bit. They have, I think they've hit the fewest home runs as a team in September. So, you know, they're another team that's, you know, obviously not struggling the way the Yankees did in, in recent weeks playing you know, just under 500, but still a team that's not hitting the way it was earlier in the season. And that's, that's a good sign for the Yankees right now. It reminds me a little bit, Ryan, of, uh, two years ago, I remember the Red Sox came in with a chance to clinch and, uh, to share hit a walk off grand slam in one of the games. And I, I remember thinking at the time that the Red Sox were going into the playoffs, not hot with a bad taste in their mouth. And, and this, this kind of reminds me of that where, they looked really good all year and now they're showing some vulnerability. Uh, they've had trouble playing at Yankee stadium this year. I mean, that that's for sure. And, you know, we talked about that except for that series at Fenway, they've, they've looked phenomenal. Uh, the Yankees have looked phenomenal against the Red Sox. So kind of putting them on their heels this series where we already know that they have some real estate in David Price's head. Um, can David Price pitch a good game at Fenway in the playoffs against the Yankees? Yes. Can he pitch a good game at Yankee Stadium against the – I mean, I'm sure the, the Red Sox would have to think about that when they make their rotation. But the thing is, if you're not going to – who are you going to face at Yankee Stadium? Eduardo Rodriguez, who's had, a, who's had a decent year, but the Yankees handled him pretty well the last time uh, they faced him. Those two games at Yankee Stadium, especially because you'd have Tanaka coming back after the wild card there's no reason the Yankees wouldn't be able to win that series yeah of course can't get too far ahead of yourselves there is a a one game playoff that has to be played that's a position the Yankees have put themselves in at this point and not one they've locked up yet in terms of of home field advantage they have I think they've got three in the loss column right now on, on Oakland so that is a nice cushion special thanks to the Rays for doing their thing against the A's as they look like they're just not losing right now and then the A's lose to the Angels last night so maybe another potential Yankees playoff opponent starting to slide a little bit here in the late going so 
you know, could be another, could be a potential playoff opponent getting hot in the race. It's not over yeah. yet. I uh, mean, if the season true. was another two weeks longer, I think the race would race might have a real shot at it. I mean, they're playing the phenomenal baseball, and of course, we have to go to that hellhole next week. Yeah, I think that is going to be a huge measuring stick for where the Yankees are. It's so weird to say a series against the Rays will tell you a lot about who the Yankees will be heading into the postseason, but that's a park that they have not had success in, especially this year. One of the hottest teams in baseball, you know, with a chance to put some permanent separation from Oakland and, and make sure the wild card game is played in the Bronx for the second year in a row. So that is going to be a huge series. But of course, first, you'd like to see the Yankees uh, complete this sweep on Thursday and make sure the Red Sox don't do any celebrating in their locker room. Yep, we got Tanaka against uh, who I just mentioned, Rodriguez. So he's you know he's pitched very well, but last time he pitched at Yankee Stadium, gave a five run. So um, we'll see what happens. You know, Tanaka's been money lately, and uh, hopefully he goes out and shuts them down, and the Yankees keep the sticks moving. They looked uh, they look good today, and they have the lineup that's equipped to take on a, a lefty pitcher. All right, so that's what's going on in Yankees universe right now, and we'll talk about some more with Jesse Spector right now, Sean. If you're if you've got nothing left, I I am uh, I got a lot in the tank, but I think we should go to Jesse. All right, we talked to Jesse Spector earlier about everything going on with the Yankees right now. It was a great interview. Had a couple points where we uh, lost connection here and there, but we were able to to power through. So here he is. Here's Jesse Spector. All right, we're joined now by Jesse Spector. You've probably seen him writing everywhere. He's had multiple different gigs. You can find him on Deal Breaker right now. He's also been a national baseball columnist. Jesse, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So first things first, we, you know, you're so active on Twitter and you, um, you know, always are engaging with, with the fans. As someone who has followed the Yankees, something that Sean and I talk about all the time is is maybe some of the unfair criticisms that the Yankees get. What, what, what do you think the Yankees fan, fan base as a whole, what their reaction has been like to this season, which some would consider a disappointment? Uh, I think it's been mostly pretty reasonable, actually. I think that there is... There's a recognition of, of what the situation is, which the, this is a really good team, and it's uh, frustrating if you're a fan of the Yankees to see them, you know, be the third best team in baseball, second best for most of the year. Uh, you know, the Astros have, have caught up and passed them um, with this lousy stretch that they've had, you know, for most of September. Um, you know, they're they're a team that's over 90 wins in the middle of September, and they're double digit games out of first place, and you know the Red Sox are going to wrap up the division with two weeks to go. Like that's, that's weird. And it's, it's an indictment of baseball's system, but for a Yankee fan, I think, you know, you have to go into it with this feeling of both excitement and disappointment. You're excited because you know, this is a team that's capable of winning the world series, but at the same time, you're disappointed because you know that you're going to a situation where it's, you know, once again, the wild card game and it's one and done. Yeah, you can either win that game and go into the into the division series like they did last year. It'll be a series against the Red Sox this time. You know, you imagine a best of five Yankees Red Sox with what that's going to be 
uh, like if that's what winds up happening. If the Yankees win the wild card game, it's uh, it's going to be nerve wracking and tenuous, and you're not going to have home field advantage. And yeah, you ran into this situation where it's just that's that's the way it goes sometimes. I think that I mean, the Yankees had a tougher schedule early. Um, the Red Sox took advantage of that, built up a lead, won the head-to-head games. That series at Fenway was, you know, kind of make or break on the season. I think the Yankees, you know, as a team, they're they're kind of caught in that same point. It's tough to be super motivated when you know you're you're playing for home field in the wild card game, and yeah, that's important. But you know, they've been pretty well locked into what they're going to be for the better part of two months, and and that's tough. It's uh, it's it's a difficult situation. I think that you know the the Yankee fans' reactions to it have been. Uh, you know, there's, there's always people that are willing to jump off a ledge at the slightest anything, but basically it's been uh, a pretty measured season as far as, as Yankee fans go. I think, I think people really do have a recognition of what the situation is and, you know, that we're going to find out in October, whether this season is a plus or a minus. So one of the big concerns right now in terms of the Yankees is a lot of people are talking about, you know, they're not playing well and, and it's all about who gets hot before the playoffs. You know, in, in your experience, you know, writing for MLB nationally, mm-hmm. you know, do you have much experience with teams that maybe stumbled into the playoffs and then got hot once the playoffs started? Or is it that important to start, you know, hitting the ground running before the playoffs get underway? Uh, it, it cuts both ways. There have certainly been plenty of teams in in that spot that the Red Sox are in where you're up big in September and it takes a little bit of your edge off and you know playing well in September doesn't necessarily mean anything and you see teams like the 2000 Yankees that are in control and then stumble at the end but then pick it back up uh, in the playoffs I think that it 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 comes down to both a mental side and you know just really luck you know best of five baseball series is, you know, and this is kind of the, the feeling that I've had about the Red Sox is what happens if, if the Red Sox lose game one of the division series, you know, to whether it's the Yankees or the A's, uh, what happens if they lose game one and just, you know, some kind of way that's just like, yeah, one run game, that's baseball. That's how it happens. And then you're, you're in a spot where you got to win three of the next four and a team like that can go out, you know, in blink of an eye. And it's not something that's unusual. We've seen it plenty of times before, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it again. At the same time, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Red Sox just steamroll over everybody. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Yankees or the Astros go on a run in October and do really uh, the same thing. It's uh, You get to a point where you have real good teams playing against each other, and anything can happen. And you know, I go into it with, with no real expectation, and there's not really – a trend one way or the other necessarily that you can read into it. Cause every team that comes into this is in a different spot. You know, what you don't want to be is like the Cubs where you've lost Brandon Morrow and you've lost Pedro Stroop, uh, from your bullpen and, and you're going in there with significant injuries that are, that are really, um, affecting your team's chances. So long as you have your guys, you know, I think of a guy like Gary Sanchez and, and the year that he's had, uh, and you could really, you can see October going one of two ways for Gary Sanchez. Either, you know, he's able to 
say, look, that was a garbage season for me. I was injured. I didn't get hit, you know, at nearly the rate that I expected to when I was healthy. And then he just goes on an absolute tear and all those, you know, 115 mile an hour line drives that he's hit all season, right at people's gloves, start falling in and become doubles. Uh, or it can just be, you know, he's in a funk and he just winds up having a terrible postseason to cap off a terrible year. I and mean, would you be surprised by either one of those outcomes? Probably not. No. So, <laughs> well, you know. So, oh, sorry. Um, one of the the things you wrote about for Deal Breaker recently was about the service time manipulations mm-hmm. that teams are doing, and you know, aside from fans will probably be clamoring about a new playoff format should the Yankees lose, especially Yankees fans. But I, I think the service time situation is something that the players will probably be up in arms about. And I think you saw this with the Yankees with Glaber Torres, maybe a little bit. But, um, you know, how do you see this all shaking out in terms of these service time manipulations that basically every team in baseball is taking advantage of when we probably should be seeing guys like Vlad Guerrero on the field right now, Vlad Guerrero Jr.? Yeah, I, I think that you want to start out by just saying that and noting that the Glaber Torres situation is a little bit different because he was coming off of Tommy John surgery and the extra sure. It's not something that they've been so much of a party to. It's not to say they can't do it and they haven't done it, but um, it hasn't been as big of an issue with them as it has been with other teams. And like The Blue Jays have no reason right now that Vlad Guerrero Jr. isn't a September call-up, uh, save for the White Sox with Eloy Jimenez. Uh, it's, it's shameful because you have a chance in September to put a foot forward as an organization and let your fans know, hey, here's why you should be buying tickets for next year. And not doing that is a disservice to your fans, a disservice to your business, and a disservice, most importantly, to those players. And you know, how much would those players gain by being able to say, you know, come into the next year and say, you know, I faced some major league pitching, whether it was a successful September or not as a call-up, even if they don't play very much, you know, how much do do guys benefit? How much, and and I go back to this one a lot, how much did Derek Jeter benefit from the two weeks that he got in the major leagues? And it wasn't September. It was, you know, it was, I think, May or April uh, when Tony Fernandez got hurt in 95 and Jeter came up for two weeks. And I advocated that the Yankees do this last year when Didi got hurt. I, I thought they should call up Torres at the start of the season and, and just give him that similar taste. And, and obviously they didn't. And, you know, maybe he wouldn't have been ready. Maybe he would have. Um, but he could have had that taste and that experience. And I think that's an important thing. And players have every right to be upset about this because it's messing with the future stars of the game. And, you know, not just their experience and how they acclimate to the majors, but their service time and when they can get paid, when they're eligible for arbitration, when they're eligible for free agency. Um, the White Sox are going through a weird thing now where Michael Kopech, their, their top pitching prospect, uh, got called up and, and was pitching for them. He's going to have Tommy John surgery. He's going to miss all next year. He's going to get that full year of service time. So, so that it bites, it bites that way on them. Uh, you know, maybe a, a little bit of karma, but this is something where the, the MLBPA has been rolling over for quite some time now. And, and really since the tragic death of Michael Weiner that, uh, that they've been dealing with this because Tony Clark is not a labor negotiator. Uh, he's, he's a former player and 
you know, popular though he may be, um, I, I think that it's been to the detriment of the MLBPA for these past few years. Um, and now they're starting to, to smarten up a little bit and bring on some accomplished labor lawyers and people with that kind of background to, uh, to fight the fights that need to be fought. We're still a couple of years out from the, the next CBA. This current one goes through 2021. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if things continue along the track that they're on, we might be headed for some kind of work stoppage. Fortunately, uh, at, at one point, they did change things so that CBA would expire not during the season, as it did in 1994 to wipe out the World Series. Uh, it now expires in the off season. But you know, with what we've seen between the service time manipulation and the, the free agency uh, of last winter where nobody was getting signed and nobody was getting any money, uh, players have, have started to wake up to to the fact that you know management, despite the fact that you've had labor peace, they're not your friends. And I think that's an important realization for them to have come to after you know, maybe some years of complacency. Yeah, I definitely think hiring uh, Bruce Meyer, the Players Association, definitely seems to mean business th- this time around. And one, one of the things that we always hear, Jesse, is that the players need to work on their defense. Uh, that's why they're not getting called yeah. up, even though they're absolutely raking. And this season with the Yankees, we've seen some of their younger players, uh, Torres and, and to a greater extent, Sanchez and Andahar. Uh, struggle with their defense and I'm just wondering what do you think as a whole how do you grade the how do you grade the crop of young Yankees that have come up this year uh how do you think they've done we're only two weeks away from the end of the regular season so I think it's a fair sample I I think they've been great you you look at Miguel Andujar and you know the idea that it was you know a lock uh pretty much that the Yankees were going to go after Manny Machado this winter I don't think that's a lock anymore I think it would still make a lot of sense. I think that Miguel Andujar is a a better first baseman, you know, going forward than a third baseman. I, I think that his defense, the the concerns there have been valid. I think that it's still something that he can improve on, but you know, he's he's not a Gold Glove caliber third baseman by any means. And you know, maybe Machado does want to play shortstop and doesn't want to come to New York, or you know, there's a million other things that could uh, be in play and be in effect there. But it's. Uh, the way that Miguel Andujar has changed the conversation around you know, what the Yankees' plans are at third base, I think, says everything about the season that he's had. That and the fact that he's you know hit so well. Now, he's gone through stretches where, where he's struggling. I think that's kind of the kind of hitter he is and is going to be, where he's uh, streaky. He's, he, gets, he gets real hot, and he's you know, giving you a double and a homer every game for, for a week. And then you know, maybe it's a, a week after that that he's... Uh, down in the dumps a little bit, but he's what, what's been encouraging to me for him is that you've seen uh, when he's had those slumps, um, you know, they, they feel like I, at least to me, they've gotten shorter as time has gone by. You know, he, he's able to snap himself out of them quicker. And I think that's a real positive for him. I, I don't have enough good things that I can say about him. And, and Glaber Torres has absolutely lived up to every bit of hype uh, that was surrounding him uh, the, the whole time. And yeah, you wonder, you know, where would the Yankees be right now if, if he hadn't missed so much time, if Judge hadn't missed so much time, if Sanchez hadn't had uh, injury after injury this year? It's been a real slug, you know, for, for the Yankees. And uh, what's let them down in the second half more than anything else is pitching. But, you know, there's also more of that on the way. And, and this farm system now is uh, equipped with 
tons of young arms, and now Justice Sheffield is on the major league roster and, and getting his first little breath of service time here. So uh, you see that happening, and you, know, you have to think that uh, that he's going to be in their plans uh, you know, as soon as next year. Yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of young talent, and uh, you know, I, I think you know, as Ryan said before, some Yankee fans aren't as patient, but I think there's a lot to look forward to even with a down year. But one, one of the other new additions to the Yankees this year was, was Aaron Boone. And in his first year, I think we definitely saw some growing pains, whether it be his mm-hmm. handling of the bullpen. Uh, it seems, seems like he's punted a couple winnable games away with, with who he's gone to. Uh, how do you think he's done in his first year? I, I know some, some was made of him having a meeting after the Minnesota series and then they won that game, but then they lost two in a row. Yeah. I, I'm not a big believer. <laughs> in meetings and I don't think anybody should be and we saw why but how do you think Boone has done in his first year I think he's been fine uh, he he wasn't the choice that I would have gone with and you know, he's he's exceeded my expectations but the criticisms that that you've raised are valid uh, the bullpen usage is uh, it's one of those where I think that if you ask fans of 30 teams you'd get 30 answers you're saying yeah my my manager bungles the bullpen sometimes and i think that the the winnable games thing is is more frustrating to the fans than it is to the players i think the players understand uh you know they want to win every day but they understand that you know it's 162 and you're not necessarily going to want to bring in uh you know chad green in a situation where maybe you go with jonathan holder instead or you know, whatever it is from early to late in the season, to, you know, flip those uh, roles, you know, Dave Robertson to do as he wants to based on who's pitching well at what point in the season. You uh, were a big fan of your pitching matchup tweets and you always put a clever wow. sentence in between them. I was just wondering what have you, have you had one where you looked at the pitching matchups that morning and were like, Oh, that's a good one. Like that's my favorite one. I've noticed you use Mike minor of the Rangers a lot. Yeah. Minor uh, lends itself very easily and in, in, in a lot of ways just uh, you know Cole Miner and then the other day Miner Nick um, my favorite the whole year is uh, the Sale Mania one uh, which uh, I don't remember the exact the exact joke or the exact tweet that I had off of it it was about Salmonella yeah I think I remember that one <laughs> uh, and, and Sean and I missed the no hitter that night against the Red Sox so that that one of all the ones this season um, stands out to me, and and obviously the the Cole Hamels game as well was <laughs> uh, you know that's, that's just magic on its own. But I, I'm pressed. Uh, I would definitely say Salmaniah because that was uh, you know, that that one could have been a stretch, and that was one when I, I tweeted it, and even my mom was like, "That's a stretch." And it's just like, ah, you know, well, I'm going to keep doing these. Um, uh, And then he goes out and pitches a no-hitter that night. So that was was something. And even before the no-hitter happened, like, uh, that one spread in a way that I didn't expect it to. So I was like, yeah, this one is, uh, this one's stretching. But, yeah, people uh, people caught on to it. It's been a it's been a rough September. I feel like I feel like every morning I I go on to the MLB app and look at the pitching matchup. There just hasn't been a lot of good ones. I, I blame the opener. I feel <laughs> like uh, the Rays keep trying Ryan Stanek out there, and he's got nothing from a fun perspective. So uh, what can you do? 
Yeah, well, the Rays have been mean in a lot of ways this year, especially the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, Jesse, thanks so much for talking with us. We appreciate the time. Oh, thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. All right, that was Jesse Spector with some some things, Sean, that I'm expecting some uh, some comments from. Where I think he said Aaron Boone has uh, been a pleasant surprise for the Yankees this year. I'm, I was uh, surprised I couldn't hear your blood boiling over the phone as you've. Uh, I was driving, so I was trying to maintain a, my composure. And since we're a young podcast, I'm not ready to start arguing with these professionals. <laughs> but I don't understand how you're pleasantly surprised with what Boone has done. Um, I mean, the other day, Martino, I think it was Andy Martino, wrote the article about how they had this Boone had this meeting that he never has meetings before they left Minnesota and how they had this great win on Friday. And then they lose two in a row. I mean, come on. Don't I, I don't want to hear any more about how he can communicate. Guy can't handle a bullpen. Uh, well, but he, he looks lost. But you know <laughs> what? I'm going to say this. In the last month, except for that Minnesota game, he's he's been better. I think Boone's been a lot better handling, you know, in terms of when to pull his starters and, and been better at managing the bullpen. And, and I think Jesse brought up a good point when he said that if you pulled 30 – fan bases 30 of them would say they don't like how their manager handles the bullpen because it's such but, it's such uh, a hindsight 2020 situation if, if if an arm comes in and and gives up a run then fans are like oh we knew that would happen and it's just i'm know. gonna be honest and you tell me did you think girardi did a good or a bad job with the bullpen i mean can i take secret answer c and say i think he did a mediocre job See, I always thought he was fine. I always thought Girardi did a good job with the bullpen. There's plenty of other things that I thought Girardi had trouble with, but I always thought the bullpen wasn't one of them. But uh, uh, whatever, it or, is what it or is. Go e- or go even further back, if you know, winning, you know, winning puts a veil over so many other parts of a manager's job where they might not be as efficient. I mean, look at Joe Torre, who obviously a phenomenal he just manager. Let guys die. That that was all. Exactly. <laughs> that was all. He just. You know, ended careers. Go out like, there and pitch until you die. Yeah, R.I.P. to Jabba Chamberlain, Scott Proctor, Tanyan Sturtz, and but again, the wait, those wait, the, job. <laughs> yeah, he, he, specific rules around that, you know. Yeah, well, still, just trying to put into context, you know, just managing bullpens, and it's just such it could be such a crapshoot sometimes, and really, it just comes down to is your team winning, and I think uh, it's a hard thing to measure because there's just so many other factors but anyway i think we could all agree that having aaron judge back is great for aaron boone and the yankees like he said he's been penciling judge's name in in the lineup uh as i think well he was joking obviously but he would say that he writes his name in the lineup sometimes when he knew he couldn't come back in just to make himself feel better now he actually gets to write judge's name in the lineup and just having him back in in the two hole I, i i think you're seeing it take an immediate change on the Yankees in terms of their offensive morale right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, um, you know, tonight the and last night, even though last night, you know, they, they only got that home run from Walker, which was a huge home run and a very exciting moment, but, uh, their lineup just feels so much more, uh, overwhelming when you, when you have 
judge in it and then you could put Torres down near the bottom and, and you know, I, it, it's just a totally different beast in terms of the number of pitchers, pitches a pitcher has to throw the power threat there in the two hole and then Stanton moved down. I mean, imagine if Stanton just, he doesn't have to go back to when he was insane, like white hot, but just imagine if Stanton gets, uh, you know, back, back to his normal self and maybe Gary goes on a little run, forget it. I think, I think we could say that when the lineup was posted before tonight, Wednesday night's game, I, I think I, I looked at that lineup and I said, this is probably the most optimized Yankees lineup since maybe May. I mean, you, you look, you have McCutcheon leading off, Judge is back in the two holes, Sanchez is, is back behind the plate, no more Romine and Higashioka. You have, you know, Glaber all the way down near the bottom of the order because it's a deep lineup again. And then, of course, you have, you know, Luke Voigt, Shane Spencer 2.0 at, at first base, and all of a sudden the Yankees lineup is is looking deep again, and you're seeing it produce here on Wednesday night. Of course, a lot of that is thanks to David Price, but still, it's it's nice to see the Yankees lineup at pretty much full strength again. And, and in terms of Judge being at, at full strength, we mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, but... You know that the exit velo is certainly there. He's hitting to all fields already, which is which is a great sign because you know risk risk can be a really tricky thing to come back from and get and just to get your timing right just from being gone for two months. We saw a similar injury with a guy like Justin Turner, and it took him a solid month before he started really hitting again. He was in a bad slump when he came back from his fractured wrist. Yeah, it it takes time, but but the the good thing is that I mean he's hitting the ball square. Yes, he is hitting the ball square, and but obviously it's too late to make any kind of comeback in the, in the division as the Red Sox just need one more win against the Yankees or one more win in a Yankees loss. But that wasn't the case 40 years ago when the Yankees made that incredible comeback in the division and the one-game playoff that I don't think anybody will ever forget. And like I said at the beginning, Sean, I'm definitely really excited to play this interview. Marty Appel, he's just been ingrained in Yankees history for pretty much his whole life. Started out fielding fan mail for Mickey Mantle, a Brooklyn kid and a Yankee fan growing up, and was the Yankees PR director in, in the 70s and has wrote so many awesome books about Yankees history. And we thought it would be a good idea to bring him on and talk about 1978 as this Sports Illustrated documentary, 14 Back, is coming out, which I'm super excited about. Uh, Jonathan Hawk was a producer and I think a director for this documentary, and he's done so many of those awesome 30 for 30s. He did the unguarded one with Chris Heron, Best That Never Was, uh, and a couple other really good ones. So I'm definitely excited to play this interview. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just what a what a joy to talk, talk to Marty. I mean, you know, we grew up watching him on the Yankeeographies. Uh, providing insight from players from you know when our dad was was watching becoming a Yankee fan and whatnot and now you know we get to talk to him that's really cool and it really gets you in the mood for some more Yankee Red Sox baseball because think about how crazy things were back in the 70s between the two of them all right well here he is Marty Appel on the 1978 Yankees and the team that just didn't quit
So we are joined by Marty Appel, Yankees historian, former PR director of the Yankees in the 1970s. He's an author of a number of great Yankee books, Casey Stengel biography, Thurman Munson, Pinstripe Empire. Marty, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we have this documentary coming out about the 1978 Yankees, a, you know, a team you were familiar with being a PR director for much of the 70s. And, you know, something that people see as a turning point in that season was Billy Martin resigning because he was looking like he was obviously going to get fired. And a lot of people saw that as maybe a, a turning point in the season. But the Yankees also won five games in a row before Martin was fired. So did you think that managerial change maybe sparked a turnaround for the Yankees, or was it a team that was starting to play better even before Martin left? Um, it's a very good question. Uh, at the time, it was seen as almost necessary. The, the five-game winning streak aside, tempers were so high, nerves were so on edge. Uh, It was a very, very difficult time for the players, the front office, and even the fans would get exhausted by the daily drama playing out on the tabloid newspapers of New York. Um, At the end of the season, which is probably the best way to answer the question, everybody felt the change was what brought about the... uh, the victory, the pennant, uh, the World State Championship, changing from the volatile Billy Martin, who really kept everybody on edge, to the calming presence of Bob Lemon. And you mentioned that there is a lot of fan distress going on around that time. What, what was the fan pulse like during that year? I think it's an interesting parallel to where we are 40 years later. You know, there was no social media back then, but you have a, a team that had won the World Series the year before and then were underperforming the following year. So, you know, what was the fan pulse like in New York in, in 78? It was riveted to uh, the daily drama that was going on. The focal points seemed to be Billy Martin, George Steinbrenner, the team president, Gabe Paul, um, to a certain extent Thurman Munson, and certainly Reggie Jackson, the conflicts the two of them had, and um, Reggie sort of being still in his second year, not being a player that Billy Martin ever wanted on the team. So those tensions were real, and the reporters covering the team uh, you know, couldn't wait for the next day's events. Today, they would have had to be tweeting and Facebook posts continuously on through the night. They'd have not gotten any sleep. Uh, back then, you know, the paper would go to press, and you could relax until the next 24-hour cycle. So, Marty, speaking about how things are so different today than they were yesterday, and, you know, some of the Yankee fans today still use that line, if the boss were around or if George were still alive, and, you know, fill in the blank, this would happen to Boone or this player would. Since you had such a – you were so close uh, to the team in the 70s at kind of the height of the Bronx Zoo – Going back to today's team, if you could pick one thing to predict if George were alive, what, what would you say, just knowing him how you did, George would, would think of this team or, or, or the manager or any of the players? If you had to pick well, one. The thing, I, the thing I'd probably say the most when, <laughs> as I watched this team 
is he wouldn't let Larry Rothschild wear those stupid sweatshirts every day. <laughs> he would say, if the Yankee uniform is not good enough for him, get another pitching coach. <laughs> so that's kind of a silly answer, but you prompted me to say that because I say it like almost every day. <laughs> um, otherwise... He, he still had a short fuse when it came to the manager. I mean, Joe Torre finally put that to rest when George was older and more mellow. But um, there'd be so much second-guessing of his use of the pitching staff. I mean, I watched this year's team, and I think somehow they've, even though they've exceeded expectations... They've somehow disappointed as the season went on because they've got one of the great bullpens of all time. You've got like five, sometimes six guys who could come in and just blow the opposition away. And yet, there seems to be more struggles than uh, one would expect out of some. So you had a, a good story about how the one-game playoff in 78 was determined in terms of where it was going to be played. Can you take us into what happened with uh, the coin flip? Yeah, this is a good story because, you know, as fans remember, the 78 pennant was decided in a one-game playoff at Fenway Park. Um, Early in September, when it looked like it was possible that there could be a tie, uh, there was arranged a coin toss uh, to determine who would have home field with the game be at Fenway or at Yankee Stadium. So Al Rosen was the Yankee team president that year, and he went down to the American League office for the coin toss. Uh, whoever was calling it for the Red Sox was on the phone from Boston. So Al Rosen is in the American League office. The coin toss is held, and the Yankees lose the coin toss, and the game is going to be at Fenway Park. Okay, so now Al Rosen leaves the American League office, and he goes to a phone booth in the lobby of the building, which was 280 Park Avenue. I still remember that. And he calls Mr. Steinbrenner and says, well, we had the coin toss, and uh, we lost, so the game will be in Fenway Park. And on the other end of the phone, you could see Mr. Stein, you could feel Mr. Steinbrenner shaking in disbelief, saying, you lost the coin toss. How could you lose the coin toss? What did you call? <laughs> and Al Rosen says, I called heads. Heads, you idiot. It always comes up tails. Everybody knows it comes up tails 70% of the time. <laughs> so, you know, what could Al Rosen do but shake his head and drive back to Yankee Stadium? knowing he had screwed up the coin toss. Of course, we fast forward a month now, and Bucky Dent's homer wins the thing, and Bucky Dent's homer would not have been a home run in Yankee Stadium. It took the strange dimensions of Fenway Park for it to be a home run. So I don't know if Al Rosen ever pointed that out. (laughs) It was the funny coda to the story. Well, I mean, speaking back to that classic game and, you know, growing up a Yankee fan, my father is a Yankee fan, but, you know, a teenager in the 70s always spoke so fondly of it. And my grandfather, who's a Red Sox fan, pointed out to me once when I was a kid, 
that the Yankees actually had a one-game lead the last game of the season. They lost, the Red Sox won. So while I kind of, in my mind, had always pictured it as this great comeback leading up to this one game, there was actually a little bit of disappointment beforehand. Did the team or, or the fan base sort of have this trepidation of, oh, man, we had this great comeback, and I think we might have just blown it? Oh, absolutely. And further complicating things... You have to appreciate, this was when Mr. Steinbrenner was still in his 40s and so volatile. So midway through the game, when it appears the Yankees are going to lose and the playoff will happen, he calls Bill Kane into his office. Bill Kane was the traveling secretary. And he says, all right, it looks like we're going to Boston. Is everything all set? You got your plans all in place? And Bill Kane says, yeah, everything's in place. Everything's set. And Mr. Steinberg says, where's the plane? Because I want to get a second plane to bring the wives up. And Bill says, it's at Newark Airport, same as always, because they always took off from Newark because that was actually easier to get to from Yankee Stadium right over the Washington Bridge and down the Jersey Turnpike. So uh, Bill Kane says, Newark Airport, same as always. And Mr. Steinberg says, Newark, why are we in Newark? I want the plane in LaGuardia. Bill Kane says, well, we can't move the plane to LaGuardia. You can't fly from Newark to LaGuardia. (laughs) Well, if you can't get it done, then we'll get a traveling secretary who can. You're fired. (laughs) He fires Bill Kane hours before the flight to Boston. He brings up a kid named Jerry Murphy from the ticket department. He says, you're the new traveling secretary, and I want you to get the plane into LaGuardia. (laughs) And Jerry Murphy says, I'm not doing it. You can't fire Bill Kane, and I can't get the plane to LaGuardia either. So this is what's going on while the Indians are beating the Yankees to force the the playoff game. I mean, if that story was more well-known, it definitely would have been worked into Seinfeld somehow with George Stiglitz as the the traveling secretary. (laughs) But, uh, you know, a couple of Father's Days days back, Mark Simon actually recommended your Thurman Munson book for my dad, who's a huge Thurman Munson fan, and just, you know, he he absolutely loved the book. And and one of the things that really surprised him was the really difficult – childhood and young life of Thurman Munson, and that's something you, even as a diehard fan, didn't really know a lot about. I'm just wondering, in all of your historical research, what's been the one thing that you have learned that maybe surprised you the most, either about a certain team or a certain player, that you didn't really expect going into that project? Well, um, you hit on a very important thing, because The dysfunctional family situation existed at least two generations, if not more, in the Munson family. Thurman's father was a long-distance truck driver who was not home very much, and when he was home, he was full of beratement for his children. There were three siblings, and Thurman was the youngest, and uh, there was not a lot of love in that house. And it was a very, very difficult environment for Thurman to grow up in, which is why early on he got a girlfriend from school, Diana Dominic, who he married. And her family sort of represented to him what families should be. And so as they became husband and wife and had children of their own, Thurman's desire to break that cycle 
to have a decent family life for his children played out to the point where he bought a plane and then later a jet in order to be able to go home to Canton, Ohio after games to be with his family and give his kids as normal an upbringing as was possible. So this was a really noble thing that Thurman did and um, nobody really knew what was going on. There were people who knew he was flying. He bought the jet which proved to be fatal only three weeks before it crashed. He simply wasn't capable of handling a plane like that at that point. Uh, so that was the tragedy of the Munson story. But the beauty of the Munson story was why he bought the plane, because he was making such an effort to bring his kids up in a good, loving family. Yeah, Thurman Munson, obviously a cornerstone of the late 70s team, and another one was Ron Guidry, especially in 1978. The Yankees obviously don't have that one-game playoff without Ron Guidry. Can you just take us back to what it was like to watch Guidry pitch in 1978, having one of the most dominant seasons a starting pitcher could have? I still marvel at, at it because Guidry was not a big guy. He didn't have strong arms. He didn't have strong shoulders. He was a skinny guy that had normal human dimensions, not like a professional athlete, let alone a pitcher. And um, the fact that he just blew everybody away that year, you know, with an incredible number of victories, shutouts, strikeouts, he was just phenomenal. And you say, like, where did that come from? because pitchers have a certain physicality to them. We don't know how hard Guidry threw. It wasn't really clocked back then. But he must have been throwing in the mid to high 90s. And where did that come from? I'm someone who has always been fascinated uh, by why can some guys throw 100 and others can only throw 90 or 80 or you and me maybe in the 60s, because nothing in an MRI, nothing in an X-ray, nothing in a CT scan shows anything in the human body that makes that possible, and yet there is a difference uh, in all of us. So someday that'll be discovered, and that'll sort of be the next breakthrough and the next mystery solved. All right, that's Marty Appel. He's human encyclopedia for all things Yankees, taking a trip down memory lane with us to relive the 1978 season. Marty, thank you so much. Great stuff, entertaining, and definitely very insightful. Thank you, Marty. Enjoyed reliving it with you guys. Thank you. All right, that's Marty Appel, and as expected, some great insight of stories you might not have heard before. And, I mean, Sean, just listening to him talk, like I said to you right after we recorded the interview, mm-hmm. I think I can just sit for hours and just hear George Steinbrenner's stories. You, you, knew, you knew the guy was fiery and, and enter, entertaining to the expense of his employees, but um, just – I mean, could you imagine, like like Marty said, could you imagine Twitter and social media for for these beat reporters if if that was what was going on in today's you know landscape of the internet and digital journalism? 
Well, with some of the stuff that people believe on Twitter, I, I think people might start believing that a coin 70% of the time will land on tails. <laughs> people I, believe I mean, the I world think, is flat. Oh, yo, that's that's true, too. But, I mean, can you believe that, that he actually <laughs> told the guy that 70% of it, that, that was that was crazy. And then the story with the traveling secretary, that was, I mean, I was dying. That was great. It's, and I, I, I'd love to talk to Marty more just about, in general, like almost go through like every player, like give me a story. And, and I mean, that, that was awesome. Yeah, it really was. And it just, you know, I, I hear him talking about Steinbrenner. And of course, everyone has their take on who he was as an owner and a person. <laughs> just you listen to that coin flip story. And it's, it's just a guy who like wanted to win so bad that he just threw any logic out the window. And if a guy lost a coin toss, it was somehow the caller's fault and, and not the coin. And just was just so fired up about winning that he definitely threw some some sanity out the window in the process and just just amazing to think about what those teams went through in 78 and 1977 and to win two world series with that atmosphere just tells you how good of a team it really was and they were underperforming for a while but and you know we don't have much to add because we just simply weren't alive when it happened but definitely cool to watch some of those highlights especially of course the Bucky Dent home run yeah I I mean crazy crazy times and you know you hear the stories about Steinbrenner it's like where where does the character of Steinbrenner begin and the real thing end because it's I I mean it's it's crazy you'd think it was something out of like the Seinfeld skits that they did a Steinbrenner but no it really happened it's funny I, I I was just thinking about the Bucky Dent home run and and about a couple home runs that Luke Voigt hit tonight, and it definitely brought out a lot of the uh, short porch complainers in terms of fans of uh, you know away teams that come to Yankee Stadium and watch the Yankees put balls over the short porch. And then you look at a home run like Bucky Dent's, and that is that is not a home run in a lot of other ballparks. But Fenway Park is obviously very friendly in left field. So, as we said on the podcast, thank God they lost that coin flip. That's right and thank god aaron judge is back and we will be back next week and hopefully with a new guest but again thanks to jesse specter thanks to marty appel great stuff thanks sean again 10 episodes we're we're flying by and the season's almost over next week is our first non-retired number that's that's very true we're going to run into plenty more retired numbers on the way and in a few years there might not be any left we'll see all right well thanks everybody and we'll be back next week Bye-bye.